It's July 2021, and an area of low pressure is moving slowly across Europe, depositing record-breaking volumes of rain in Germany, Switzerland, Belgium and the Netherlands. At this time of year, the middle of summer, heat waves or risk of drought are more usual than flood warnings. But the rain is falling on moist soil, in areas where rivers are already running high. And it keeps on falling. In some places, more than a month's worth of rain in just one day. For many areas, the results are catastrophic. Germany experiences its worst rainfall for over 100 years, causing the Ahr River to run so quickly that it obliterates towns and villages in its path with fatal consequences. Residents of the North Limburg region of the Netherlands hold their collective breath. Flooding is not new to them, but now they are hoping that things will be different. They are waiting to see if the new flood defences, completed just a few months ago, will protect them. The statistical measures, the standards say we have such a flooding once in the 250 years. We had it in 1993 and we had it in 1995. And now in July 2021, we have it again. It was because of these floods in the 1990s that the government took action and invested in a new system of flood defence measures. The work involved the design and construction of new types of flood protection dikes, created specifically for this location that had never been used before. And as the storm clouds gathered and the rain kept falling, the question was, would the new dikes be enough to keep people safe? Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And I'm Alex Conacher. This week, we have partnered with Fugro to investigate a type of flood protection design that has never been used before. A scheme that would not only reduce the risk of flooding of two villages from the River Maas, but would create upstream benefits for other populations. A scheme that would reuse all of the soils that were excavated on site instead of importing new material lowering its carbon footprint by 50%. A scheme that was tested at full capacity just months after completion. And my name is Theo Reinders. Theo was the project director on behalf of the five government agencies involved in the project. The, the province of Limburg as lead partner, the Water Authority, Limburg, uh, the municipalities Venray, and Horst and the Maas, and the Ministry of Infrastructure and Water. And they owned, as government organizations, that project Oyen Wansom. The Oyen Wansom Area Development Project sought to protect the area from future flooding of the River Maas, and it involved making more space for the flood water, flood water that had previously affected the area in 1993. In 1993 and 1995, we had big floods in this area, but also in the River Maas, and um, it caused a lot of damage. And uh, not only financial and economically, but also emotionally. And it was not expected. At the time, the flooding extended over 17,000 hectares and affected over 5,000 properties. The River Maas hadn't flooded like this since the winter of 1926. So, there was a time lapse of almost 70 years. 
70 years during which the Second World War and then the subsequent reconstruction efforts were the priority for local and national government. At the same time, from a flood management perspective, severe coastal flooding in 1953 meant that efforts were focused on coastal flooding, not river flooding. So there was no collective memory anymore and then suddenly, in 1993, the water came and the flooding came. And what was remarkable also in 1993-1995 was not only the water level, but also the strong flow of the water. So it was not just a water problem, it was also a human risk issue. And that, was, that led to a growth uh, or big awareness of we have to do something now, we can't let rest this river area. At the same time, a new programme called the National Delta Programme was launched by government to investigate the flood impact of rivers throughout the country to protect it from flooding and ensure adequate water resources. This was long-term, looking at the future risk until 2100. This programme led to new standards and legal requirements for local government and water authorities. So once in 250 years, if there was a flooding. That was the, the standard that we had to be achieved. The, so we had, as Limburg area, we had uh, a standard uh, as a legal requirement. Second, there was a water flow that was uh, predicted by a commission Veerman, also a commissioner, separate commissioner from the central government. And um, they predicted we have to achieve a protection against for more than 4,000 cubic meters per second. So that was the flow that we had to, to manage. The next question was how to achieve this. Research showed us in this area that good flood protection had to be achieved by a combination of the lowering water level and dikes. So not only dikes, uh, but really space for, for the river, space for the water. And that was the main challenge. Because if you do that, then you utilize the, the land that's in, in use by companies and, and, and by, by citizens. So that was the challenge we had to do. The Netherlands has a long history of successfully using dikes and levees to protect land. But Limburg was an area that had not used these before. So the project team needed to create a solution that was not only protecting people, property and infrastructure from flooding, but was also acceptable to the local population. New dikes had to be constructed uh, around uh, two villages in the, in the province of uh, Limburg. The villages of Oyen and Wansom. And therefore we needed material, soil, to construct them. From the other way, the river had to be given more space. We call this room for the river. This is Leo Zwang. He is a service line manager for Fugro's consulting business, and he has spent 25 years working in flood defence design. Fugro was the technical designer for the project, working on the landscape design created by architect Lodwijk von Neuweij. So, there was also a lot of material excavated in this area. However, the type of material which was excavated uh, was not of the quality which is uh, used for dikes and levees in the Netherlands. So, this would mean that 
millions of cubic squares of material would have been excavated and transported to another area. Not only would the excavated material that would give the river more room have to be disposed of, new clay would have to be imported to build the dikes. This could be expensive and the carbon footprint would be huge. Unless Fugro and the project team, which was led by design and build contractor Muda Mas, could come up with a new approach. In the tender phase, we saw an opportunity to create a new type of dike in which we were able to reuse this material in the same area. This is a far more sustainable construction, but also giving us the opportunity to limit our carbon footprint in this project. Create a new type of dike, which is giving more space for more uh, other use of, this, of these dikes. Meaning that they are not simply flood defense structures, they can be used for other purposes, which was an important consideration for local stakeholders. So these dikes are not only constructed for water safety, they're also constructed for use, for land use, for agricultural use, also for nature uh, development. So these are multifunctional dikes which we have created. And this was one of the first projects um, in, in which we uh, are using the, the concept of uh, local soils. To use these soils in a more sustainable design required a fundamental rethinking of the way that dikes are designed, and that meant testing. A lot of testing, to prove that this local material was stable enough to hold back floodwaters that could be moving at 4,000 cubic metres per second. It was a job that could only be done by people with extensive technical experience and a deep understanding of the design standards. People like Het Ruben van Gogh. We took a different approach. Yeah? If you look at the, um, at, uh, the flood defence regulations in the Netherlands, uh, after the, the floods of 1993 and 1995, a real effort was put in formalising levy design. And which resulted in numerous mostly technical uh, guidelines and regulations. From, so from that point on, also every dike has to be assessed periodically and guidelines on the design of levies were uh, put in place. Yeah, you can see them like manuals describing well-understood, well-established types of materials and how to use them in your levy design. So the standards were very descriptive and very well understood. Of course, you have the possibility to uh, deviate from these guidelines, but that needs some testing, some research to be done to get uh, a new design accepted. And it must, of course, be safe. Meaning that tests have to prove that the new design, created from local materials, can hold back the water and protect the hinterland from flooding. In total, around 4 million cubic metres of soil was going to be available from the excavation to make more space for the River Mars. To close the loop, the team wanted to reuse all of it on site. But it wasn't that simple. And as you probably already guessed, the local material, most part of that was loamy clay, is not a standard clay for which a design framework was given in the guidelines. Okay. So there was no manual present on how to build a dike with that material. Loamy clay is more sandy and less cohesive material than the clay that's usually used for dikes in the Netherlands. So the project team had to do a lot of work to prove that this material could do the job of holding back the water. 
we performed several tests on different scales in order to characterize the, the clay. So we did mostly erosion tests and we did it at different scales. So we did it in our Fugro laboratories with a pinhole test and we did it on a full scale. So we went to two uh, German universities where we performed flume tests and wave flume tests to actually see how the clay would behave during high water level events with rapidly flowing water passing over the clay and waves beating into the clay. And then we measured the erosion impact uh, of that, of the processes onto the clay. So we actually built a dike and we send us waves at the dike, waves that, that you would also expect during those high water levels on the river. And we determined how much erosion was taking place. The team even tested in the river itself. And we did a full-scale test actually on the bank of the river. Uh, so we built a, a dike on the bank and left it there for one year. And just to see what the flow of water would do, what the waves would do. And of course, we had to translate those uh, flow velocities and wave heights to high water level events. At the same time, the team had to characterize the clay because it wasn't uniform. There were different types of material within the 4 million cubic meters. So we did all kinds of classification tests in order to make certain categories of that loamy clay. We also looked at the cohesion of the material, of course, because the cohesion of the materials is an indicator for how much erosion it can withstand, how more cohesive, how better uh, the erosion characteristics are. And also what is very important is the compaction of the clay. The greater the compaction of the clay, the greater the erosion strength. Results from this battery of tests told the team that there were three different types of material, and these had to be carefully placed in the dikes. We called it type A, B and C. And type A and B were the most erosion resistant materials. So you want to use that at the front of your dike where the flow of water is flowing next to it, where the waves come in. And on the top layer of the dikes, where any potential overtopping might occur. The type C soil was therefore used as a kind of fill material. The structural design of the dike was much steeper than the usual one in three gradient used in the Netherlands. The team describe it as more of a sheer face, a kind of cut-off wall. This was the part that would retain flood water and ultimately cope with the force of the water. We call it the cut-off, the, the cut-off levee, the cut-off dike. In Dutch it's the Stelrand dike, but it's a very steep slope at the front of the dike and actually the dike is encapsulated, it is hidden behind or in that structure, so it's very big and, and robust. But in front of this on either side was another layer to the design, a buffer zone, which is designed to naturally erode, and this again consisted of the local loamy clay. This meant that the overall footprint of the dike was much wider than the typical flood protection scheme, but it also meant that this land in front of the dike could have a multitude of new functions. And the type C was also allowed to be put in front of the dike, yeah, where we spoke about the, the very steep natural buffer that was in front of the dike. The type C, the more sandy clay, was also allowed there because the high sand content was also had some ecological benefits. 
So plants, animals, they prefer the high sand content. So we put that material also in front of the dike. And that was your, our na natural buffer, which was allowed to, uh, to erode by natural processes. And the actual dike is, is hidden within that structure. The idea that some erosion will be allowed is innovative and rather unusual for a flood defence scheme. Leo explains. The limited amount of erosion uh, has a big advantage for the ecological footprint because this is giving a lot of opportunities for a lot of animals and plants. For, for a flood defence specialist, they say erosion, we don't like erosion at all. So this was rather new for us. So for this project, we wanted to have soil which has enough erosion resistance, but we are allowing some erosion. And that's, that's part of this design. And with this, yeah, you're, you're creating an, an area for ecological development and, and also, yeah, a, a, a secure flood fence. Of the new system of levees built, the Stellrandijk ran for around 9.2 kilometres. Another new type of dike but with a longer, more gradual natural erosion zone, called the Hoggegrund Dyke, ran for about 5.3 kilometres. And the remaining 3.5 kilometres were traditional dikes. All used locally available soil and reduced the carbon footprint of the project by around 50%. This project is a great example of a, of a multidisciplinary approach in levy design. So the architect coming up with, with I, what I think was a brilliant idea uh, yeah, it was in which the levy blends in in the area where historically no levies were present. And we as flood defense consultants, we are with expertise in designing levies and material testing, worked hard making that idea a reality uh, in a relatively short period of a couple of years. And also the contractor yeah, assisted in every step of the way and also bringing in specific knowledge on construction, on possibilities and limitations. So what were the issues for the contractor? My name is uh, Jules Janssen and I'm a project director at uh, Duravermeer. For this project, uh, Duravermeer formed a collaboration with uh, Plugam and I was the director of this collaboration. And the general partnership was responsible for the design and the build of the complete project. A project that was doing things differently to the traditional approach in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, we are used to design and building dikes uh, naturally. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's in our DNA. Uh, but the dikes we normally made are made of clay and overgrown with grass. And in this particular project, we didn't have either. So we had to make sure and prove to the government that our design would work and was solid. Um, and that, to do that, we had different uh, tests at the University of Hanover. And with the results of these tests, we not only proved that our ID uh, worked, but also provided new design parameters that we could use for the dike uh, design. These were the tests that Gert Rubin mentioned earlier. From a construction perspective, Jules says that the coordination of the excavated materials was the biggest challenge. During the excavation works and the project itself and building the new dikes, we had to keep a very close eye on which quality was uh, released where and where we could use it in the project. 
to be applied in the in the dikes uh, we were building and that was a very complex puzzle when you start with the excavation um, not one square meter uh, soil is the same horizontally or vertically so uh, we have to take very much care that the, the good and the same uh, qualities would uh, are brought to the, the the right place and applied at the right place so yes that were there were a few a lot of a lot of people busy with uh, the coordination of that um, uh, of that work work which was tested much more quickly than anyone could have anticipated summer is not the usual period for high water events to occur this is teo again i told you about the statistic once in 250 years and we had 1993 and we had 1995 and so um, uh, no that was uh, a surprise of course and not alone not only the, the the fact that there was a high water but also that it was mid in, in in the middle of the summer and that yes we ended formally the project at july 1st and 14 days later the water came but although the project formal completion was July, the dikes themselves had been completed months earlier. Just in time to face record-breaking rainfall. So we didn't know exactly uh, how it would work because it was so fast after um, the delivery of the project. And uh, that was uh, our concern, but we were very sure about the measures itself. And uh, it proved to be uh, very good. For the project team, which had spent years testing and proving the pioneering new dike designs, it really was the moment of truth. This is always really special for, for an engineer to see whether, whether your construction is withholding or not. So we were, we were a little bit stressed. <laughs> I think that's normal. And then, then we received a, a text message from the waterboards everything went well and they were really happy that that this part of their levees was no problem at all so uh, that's really nice and of course the team went out to see this for themselves we did an in inspection of course and uh, together with uh, fugo and together with um, uh, the water, water board and we saw some erosion uh, only two places was where the erosion uh, some bigger than thought so we uh, maintained that and uh, at all the other sites it was uh, perfect no strange things uh, everything acted as predicted not only were the two villages protected the scheme was designed to ensure there were systemic benefits too by making more space for the river mast in the North Limburg area, the high water level fell by 37 centimetres in the project development area. And then the high water level fell upstream too. So now in 2021 with the high water we had then, uh, you saw that the, the fact that we were ready with our project, that it was just enough to save the city of Venlo because we could lower there 20 uh, centimeters water level and uh, that saved um, the city of Venlo. So that was the interesting thing also for the central government that it's not just protecting that what is there as being two villages or some some farms and 
also an industrial port, but more the, 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 the system effect. Venlo is 20 kilometers north of the project site, but the benefits cascaded even further upstream, with other towns seeing this lowering of high water levels. It was very good to see that our project reduced the water levels up to 30 kilometers upstream, so the people there could, uh, yeah, could have dry feet and uh, <laughs> were not flooded. So it was, uh, but it was, uh, there is a confidence in your design, but you also are dependent. Uh, design is one thing, but as I mentioned earlier, also the construction phase has to, has to perform. It has to be constructed with a certain quality captured in uh, using the right types of soil, uh, captured in uh, compacting it in the right way, captured in building up your levee in the right way. So not only the design was was good, but also the construction quality was, was attested and was good. What's more, many of the project team lived in this area, so the project meant more to them than just creating a new kind of flood protection scheme. You're, you're literally protecting your own home. Looking to the future, then do the team expect to see more use of local materials and repetition of these new dikes? From the government's perspective, Teo reflects on what it was like to take a risk and to try something new. So, for the government as a client, my first responsibility is to protect the area, to protect the citizens. But, but we never had the feeling that it was a risk because we knew what companies were working with that concept and with that design. So I don't focus now on the technical uh, situation because uh, there are other people that know more about it than me. But for us as client, as a government, was it of course very interesting. As the client, the government wanted a cost-effective project that met the flood protection requirements. The project that the consortium presented with its reuse of local soil did this and more with its lowering of the carbon footprint and then the mixed use potential of the land. So we decided as a government, although we didn't have the proof as proven technology because it has to be research and university, we started with we are going for this, we, we are going to do that. And okay, maybe it is uh, not working, okay, that's done, not our risk. That's of course part of the game, but we were as a government rather innovative by giving it a chance. And this is a good story and you have to be innovative, but you have to give opportunity to chances and to new ideas to create new styles of dikes in this case. And when you are innovative, it sometimes gets recognized by the wider industry. We did win the Water Innovation Award from the Dutch uh, water boards because uh, because of the, the the new type of dike we have developed uh, and also uh, have constructed with a, a much lower uh, carbon footprint this was only possible because of all the stakeholders involved Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. 
This episode was produced and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, co-hosted and edited by me, Alex Conacher, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our last line of defence is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Fugro, Dura Vermeer, and Castoro Interim and Project Management. Engineering Matters is available on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media.